Today, I'm super excited to have an amazing soul with us on Wellness Spring. And I was very blessed to meet Paul around last um, March, I believe, when we had our first lockdown for COVID in um, France. And I heard about Paul through a lovely friend who is a student of Paul, Jana Ida, and I went for a hypnotherapy session with her, then a past life regression, and then a life between life. And I went in to totally neutral, and we'll talk about the experience shortly, And because I didn't have a clue, which I'm sure some of the listeners won't either. But I got fascinated by Paul because I read one of his books where it was um, a group of therapists that got together and did the different case histories. And then I was fascinated because he also was the first person to get elected as the president of the Michael Newton Institute. And he's also an educator and a trainer and he's been featured in documentary films on TV. And he, and this is because of his groundbreaking work with Life Between Lives and Regression Therapy. And during COVID, Jana invited me to a few of his groups. He was running, like myself, various wellness um, groups. And I think this was mainly for your therapist, but I, I was very grateful to come on board and listen to some amazing talks that you and Sophia rang with about fear and so forth. So welcome, Paul, to Wellness Spring. I'm so happy Thank to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's yeah, a pleasure. Beautiful. And um, I'm so excited to find out more. My curiosity um, I want to hear about how you got into hypnotherapy and I also want to hear about what happened when you got struck by lightning and survived and I've got many many questions to ask you about that so would you like to explain about your background and how it led you to be this most amazing healer you are today? Uh, thank you. Yeah, I knew, I really knew from very young that I was to be a healer. I wasn't sure exactly what that meant, but I had a deep voice from within that, that guided me that, in that direction. I studied by studying, I started by studying psychology and after a couple of years became pretty disillusioned with what I was learning and left, left college. And I went off to Japan on a sort of a vision quest or adventure, I guess. Um, and I studied there for two years, first learning the language and then studying an alternative kind of energy healing that I felt very drawn to. I think most of my friends and family thought I was pretty much out of my mind to do such a thing. But I think it was a really um, important transformational time for me, looking back at the work I'm doing now and looking back at that time it really helped break the sort of trance that I was in, this kind of American mentality, if you will, because it's such a completely different culture. To learn to speak the language meant really turning yourself inside out. 
yes meant no and no meant yes. And even though, even though I could speak the language, I couldn't communicate well because how one communicates is very different than how an American would communicate. So I think that was really um, a big start for me to change my thinking, my mentality, really open, open me up to other points of, of view. And of course, that healing work that I learned, I, I came back to the U.S. then, and I taught that and practiced that for about uh, 15 years. And over the course of doing that, realized that somehow people were naturally entering an altered state of consciousness. And somewhere along the way, someone talked to me about training and hypnosis. I always thought hypnosis was pretty strange and didn't really have much interest in it, but I, I sat in on a class and said, you know, the techniques that they're teaching here are actually helping people achieve higher consciousness, altered state, expanded consciousness in a very direct and intentional way, um, much more quickly than I was able to achieve it with what I was doing. And so I began to combine the hypnotic elements, induction and, and some of the suggestions and this sort of thing along with the energy work and the breathing that I was doing. So I really combined it all and was practicing that. Um, I began to work in a medical office with patients that had, the doctor there worked primarily with people with chronic illness and chronic pain. And so I trained in medical hypnosis by then and was doing hypnoanesthesia, which was pretty effective for anesthetizing, numbing or, or reducing pain. Um, but it didn't last. They were back the next week, they were back in two weeks, and it became clear in time that there were a lot of underlying emotional issues, not just from having been ill or in pain for an extended period of time, but behind the pain that they were experiencing, behind the uh, illness they were experiencing, there seemed to be something else. So I, I started exploring more about how we could get to the root cause of things rather than just treat the symptoms. And hypnosis or the state of hypnosis is really an ideal tool or way to begin to explore that. It's not a, a conscious exploration. People that had been ill for 15, 20 years had thought a lot, researched a lot, been through so many treatments with no resolution. And so, I finally sort of got to the point of, rather than anesthetizing their pain, have them achieve a higher state, a more objective state of consciousness that can be achieved in hypnosis. A state much like many meditators try to achieve. It's difficult for me to get there that way, but hypnosis was really a direct way to get there. But then as this more objective observer, um, viewing things from a higher perspective, I would then begin to facilitate a dialogue between the patient and the condition. So they did a sort of inner dialogue with the root to go to the root cause of the condition and then use their own body's inner wisdom to find a solution for that. So in time, I, I came to call that the body wisdom process. And wow. in the process, in the process of guiding people inward to listen to that wisdom, um, they would find solutions, they would find answers, they would find cause in there. And it wasn't something I was telling them or giving them, it was something they were finding 
uh, within themselves. And occasionally, occasionally they would spontaneously regress. I wasn't exactly sure what it was that was happening, but in retrospect, and after it happened a few times, they were regressing back to past lives and tapping into the trauma or belief systems or survival strategies from many lifetimes ago that had left an imprint and were influencing and affecting very much how they live their lives or limiting how they live their lives in their current life. When it happened at first, I didn't really know how to facilitate it. And it wasn't the intention of achieving that, but it happened spontaneously. So both the patient and I often were not just leery, but quite surprised um, and didn't know what the results would be. And some of them really achieved complete healing from the condition that they'd seen me for after years of no success. But I still wondered, is that, is that past life? Is that yeah. fantasy? Is it, is it metaphor? Is it a psychological problem? I really wasn't sure at first. And, but after it happened a few times, I began to study it and do it more intentionally. And yeah. it was in the course of that that, as you said, I got hit by lightning. So yeah. I was doing this work. Um, but that Before you talk strike. about the lightning, because uh -huh. you mm -hmm. mentioned yeah. your parents and your friends um, thought you were crazy. What mm. work did your parents do and have you got any siblings? And, you know, did you believe in past lives before you, the lightning struck and before you took on this work? I wasn't sure about past life. Some, it wasn't in my religious background, um, but somehow it made sense to me. Mm. I have a, uh, parents, of course, I have a, a brother and a sister, both younger. Um, when I was in high school, I read Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life. Okay. And somehow that book really sang to me. He was the first medical doctor, cardiologist, I believe, who researched these unusual experiences that his patients were having um, before they were resuscitated. So after their heart stopped, they had a heart attack or, or, or heart failure um, or cardiac arrest. And he began interviewing them and they were told these fantastic stories of going into the light, meeting guides, wise beings, loving family members, um, and somehow that book really opened up something in me. You know, I actually, my book comes out in, in June, June 1st. Yes. And I have a most beautiful endorsement from Raymond Moody. It wow. was really a, a dream come true for him to read my book and, and uh, really love it and, and speak so highly of it. So that's, that's really a treasure for me. One of the first people that was sort of sparked me on this, on this path. Wow, that's amazing. We'll talk about the book shortly because I know that you've got other amazing people. Like I've been following Ling McTaggart for donkey's years. And for the last few years, I've been organizing groups, The Power of Eight, and oh, doing their experiment. Oh. Yeah, it's been phenomenal, mm -hmm. the results that we've been getting. And... Um, and also Caroline Miss, I followed about yeah. 20 years ago. And right. 
you you've got some amazing endorsements and um we'll go more in depth about that shortly because um we'll have so much to talk about your book <laughs> so what about the lightning oh. so i was doing this regression work um and more intentionally doing past life so the continuity the the survival of the soul or spirit even after the body is gone i was pretty convinced by by that work but yeah 20 years ago taking my son to a outdoor swim meet there was light not lightning well i guess it was lightning but there, we heard thunder in the distance but it was really far away it was a sunny day like it is here today wow. and my youngest son was getting a bit antsy so we decided to to leave and they had delayed the swim meet because of the thunder and as i was loading the car thank god i put him in the car first so he was protected and i was putting stuff in the back of the car and i didn't even know it was lightning at first it was just my whole entire world exploded everything went white i began to convulse bouncing in the streets really people said um and the i mean you know how loud a clap of thunder can be imagine oh, yes. if the lightning's right there yeah. never heard anything so loud and then everything slowed down it was really very much like slow motion and i didn't have a my life didn't pass before me but i had enough time to think of well i realized i was being electrocuted but i didn't know why wow. there were power lines overhead and i was I had enough time to think oh maybe the power line is down um i realized it was coming up my legs and i said no i'm wearing sandals i should be insulated you know i should be okay um and then as it continued was the realization that if this kept going i couldn't survive it i wouldn't live wow and people said they saw the baseball cap fly off my head and keys fly out of the car and out of my hand and they could see it it actually came out of a storm drain it went up my oh. legs through my body into the car it melted out the wiring system in the car and blew off the front of the car as a kind of ball lightning that knocked another person down oh my god and when it went through you did you uh. were you unconscious or what was it like cuz obviously it would i've heard people say it's like frying your whole body and your brain yeah i stayed conscious for that part i'm not sure wow. why but i did um you know when it hits a tree yeah what happens is it superheats the water inside the tree and the tree explodes from wow. inside out and it does pretty much the same to your body so it it superheats inside and a lot and when it when it stops you get thrown many people get thrown and that's often what kills them is is hitting something right i flew they said like a missile and landed on my head and i don't know how long i was unconscious or or, or dead when i woke i was in about a foot of water it was hailing oh. pouring rain when it was a huge storm how long it took because it was sunny when it happened how long it took for that to happen yeah. is and anybody's guess where was your son at this time you said he's only 3 and what was he doing yeah he was inside the car 
crying, hearing me scream like a, yeah, laying in the street wow. screaming. Yeah, so that that was upsetting for him, certainly. As mm. much as I'm happy he's alive, he has some residual from having seen and heard that. He told an interesting story uh, a year or two later about um, he had these little supermen. He's going to hate I tell this story. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, he had this little Superman pajamas, and he said he put it on his little Superman cape, and he came to heaven and, and brought me back. Oh, how sweet yeah. is that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Oh. And did you feel like you had died? Because I, I read somewhere that you went into hospital and you were under recovery for many months. Yes, hospital was half a day. They didn't know what to do with us and released us, which they really shouldn't have. We actually had, were told by our insurance company to go back to the hospital the next day. That's wow. how serious it was. Yeah. Wow. Um, they don't know how to treat you really because we survived. And so they did their tests and that was about it. Um, I knew something was different. I knew I'd survived a close call, but yeah. it seemed even bigger than that. I mean, physically, I felt terrible, like I'd been run over by a bunch of dump trucks. Yeah. But, and my short-term memory was really bad. But I knew something was different. And yeah. it wasn't until months later that I did um, a regression, a somatic regression, yeah. back to the event to, to try to release some of the trauma, because my health really wasn't good after it. Yeah. Um, and it was in that regression where I was able to recover the in-between time, the time that I was unconscious or dead and the time I, I regained consciousness. And it was, it was that time. And I do those NDE regressions now. It, it's so yeah. valuable. Did a study with 20 sudden cardiac arrest patients that were all dead and, and resuscitated. And they tell that such similar stories. But so right. I, when I went, um, I didn't have a full life review as some talk about having, but I was completely overwhelmed by the deep love and appreciation for all the people whose lives I touched doing the work that I'd done. Wow. So it, I really recognized the value of it. it. It was beyond words. It was more of an experience of feeling their deep love and appreciation. Oh my God. And yeah, yeah. And the other two or three, I guess three big things that happened for me was one, um, just being bathed in complete and total unconditional love, a love that's indescribable. And that changes you. And that's something that, that doesn't get left behind. It's something that you carry with you and, and, and have more as a resource or even just knowing it's there. And then yeah. being able to tap into it sometimes is, is so helpful. And going there with others, too. Yeah. Um, and the other thing was, was experiencing oneness. I think that it's easy to feel alone or separate or different or even odd or, or weird or, um, yeah, separate. And the, they, I say they, it wasn't a being standing with some robe, but there was obviously a group of energies that put me into what I would call the universal sea of consciousness. I, I had the experience of 
being aware of myself and at the same time be not just being a part of all things but being all things so there's no separation at all yeah and we can talk about universal love or oneness or connection and and, and these are really important topics to explore but to have the experience of we're both the same thing even though i have my consciousness and you have yours it changes your outlook on yourself. It changes your outlook on, on the world um, and how you operate in the world. And, and so that was really important for me to remember that experience. And along with that, there were some messages I got too. One, one of the biggest ones, and it's in the book, is listen. It may sound simple, but yeah. listen. Wow. They, and they said, you, you have a pretty good mind but you pay away it, you use it too much. You need to listen. <laughs> I think we all listen use to our your... mind too much. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. It's yeah. a big theme. So listen, listen to your heart, listen to your soul, listen to spirit. The work you're doing is right. You're on the right track. It's reassuring to hear that. Yeah. Um, but you need to do it with a different consciousness, a different intention. Put more uh, spirit, put more light, put more energy put more heart, put more soul into what you're doing. And I was approaching it in a much more clinical way, right? right. And, but I think that it's a good to have a balance of the two. Yeah. And so it changed how I did my practice. And it's really set me, Beverly, on a journey to explore how could I possibly create or, or deliver or facilitate a session for someone to have those kinds of transformational experiences without having to get killed or come close to death. Oh, I know. I was going to say, um, would you explain to the audience if it's possible not to have to go through that? Because some people just even get rock bottom in life, especially now with the pandemic, a lot of people, their lives have changed. Mm -hmm. They've lost, you know, loved ones. They've lost their job. They haven't got finance. They're struggling. And, um, you know, I think it's been a big opportunity for people to look within. However, after the first pandemic and I was doing the wellness groups and you also, I found when we started mixing and mingling, a lot of people hadn't learned their lessons. I'm not mm. sure how you founded it. I, I believe you were in New York at the time, you know, whether you've noticed. And I think it's because people are very fearful, in my personal opinion, from the people I've come across and my clients are too fearful to look within. What is your take on that? And also, can you, you talked a lot about consciousness and oneness. Can you tell the listeners your take on what it means? Yeah. Well, I think that there is a lot of fear. And my experience over this last year is, yeah, we're really having our noses rubbed in it. Mm. And so people that had some kind of fear or anxiety um, or trauma, even if they'd worked on it, this whole situation over the past year has really triggered so many people. And so things that people thought they'd resolved is back on the surface. What was buried is even more on the surface. 
Um, it's a kind of a mass or group trauma, really. And yeah. in, in a way, what I learned from the lightning was that could have been my demise. It could have really sent me downhill, spiraling mm. into depression and chronic illness, which is what a support group told me would happen to me. I said, no, really? that's not a support group. I'm not going to go down that path. So instead, used it as an opportunity to really grow and expand. And it's, it's transformed me in a, a very significant um, way. And I think now, too, um, we need to come together, support each other, um, and look at what's coming up and use it as an opportunity to grow. That yeah. said, yes, it's very challenging times for people. If you don't have enough money, enough food, a job, then yeah, maybe spiritual growth isn't exactly what you need right now. Um, mm -hmm. Although spiritual growth can come from that, sometimes you need to take care of the earthly, earthly things first. And so I think that one of the big things for me was priorities, right? When you've been yeah. dead and come back, you go, well, what's really important to me? And what was important before you had your heart attack or before you were in coma or before you had that terrible car accident and what's important to you now that you survived it or you're in the process of surviving it really changes, really changes. And I think that my experience really drove me to look inward more than outward. Mm. Um, and so that's really a love of mine, a passion of mine is to not say, I have the answers for you, come to me for answers, yeah. but to trust and believe you have the answers within you. I have yeah. some tools. I can help facilitate your finding those, but not, not give them to you or tell you what to do. And I, for me, that feels like the utmost respect um, and healing effort that I could offer for anyone is trusting that you have that within and then helping you find that. Yeah. And I believe you've put a lot of um, information and tools and um, practices into your new book, The Essential Healing. So can you tell us about your book? Because I've got loads of questions for that as well. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been working on it for 15 years, writing a bit here and there. I've always written manuals for training so really for professionals in the field um and in doing sessions for 30 some years in time i began to see certain patterns really or certain what i call essential healings they were kind of uh, profoundly transformational experiences that many people had in common not necessarily in a specific order but that were monumental in their healing and, and stepping forward and becoming themselves. And finally, over the last three years, been working full time on it. And honestly, last year, COVID, because of not doing sessions and being mm -hmm. locked down, it gave me the time I really needed to finally get the book written. And so Fantastic. it's written, it's, it's been edited in a number of times. That's part <laughs> of the process. It's printed and it's, it's being shipped to the warehouse um, in about a week or two. 
and it'll be available June 1st, probably before that. You can pre-order it. All the booksellers have it. Um, I'm waiting to get one in my hand. I, I've seen the cover, but I haven't held the book yet. <laughs> that must uh, be so exciting. It is. It, yeah. it really is. It, to it's give birth to your creation after 15 yeah. years. Wow. Yeah. And, it, and it's a bit scary, too, because it's very personal and, and revealing as well. Mm. You know, there were choice points along the way. Well, do I really say that? You know, how are people going to respond to that? But yeah. um, I really went for it. I really went for it. I'm proud of it. Oh, good. Yes, it's a bit like artists who feel naked standing in front of your canvases at an exhibition. And with authors, especially when it's something so personal about your life's journey, you know, and your teaching methods, it's like you're exposing yourself, you know. And like you say, it's... Um, there'll always be critics and judgments because when you mentioned about people, your family thinking you're crazy, I had the same when I started my psych nursing and mm. um, my father didn't want me to do it at all. And he was like, no, I've got some mates who are, you know, psychiatric nurses and they're all crazy. You know, if you go down that field, it's going to happen to you the longer you're with the mm. crazy people. And I did do a stint, um, like in my pre-nursing. At the time, I was blessed to have this opportunity because it wasn't all university training. So I spent a tent mm. with psychologists. And they asked me to um, do some um hypnosis and past life regressions but oh. at that time yeah so because we had to know what each department did so we knew what we, the patients were going through and what they'd be expecting so we could explain it to them however i couldn't be hypnotized and now i think it was because i didn't want to lose control or fear of the unknown mm. and what was going to be happen and you know, because I came from a, a religious background on both my mother and father's um, sides. And my father was going, oh, no, that's some sort of um, black magic or, you know, you don't know what they're going to do with you. And it's only years later when I got into meditation and I practice meditation every day. And for me, I can go to that special space straight away and being a Reiki healer what you described with that undivine love, uh, unconditional love, I had a, an amazing experience post a trauma having Reiki. It was like being touched mm. by the divine. And, mm -hmm. you know, the next day when I woke up, it's like, wow, I can see clearly everything. Everything was magnified, the colors and the beauty and that love continued for a long time. But yeah, a lot of people, I think, think that you're crazy so what do you how do you help people to overcome or what would be the main reasons people come to you because there's so much fear at the moment so i talk with <clears throat> excuse me i talk with people a lot about the mind about the mental mind yeah and about the subconscious and about the superconscious or higher higher perspective expanded consciousness yeah. So I really have reframed how I talk about hypnosis because there are so many misunderstandings, misperceptions. Yeah. Um, 
if I reassure people, you're not going to be asleep or unconscious. And as you said, there's also the control issue, right? Yeah. So I talk about mental mind and one of the big misunderstandings about hypnosis is that when someone's in hypnosis, that they're going to be unconscious, that somehow the mental mind will not be present. And if they have that fear or even that expectation, they're going to be quite disappointed because mental mind is not absent. It's not gone. Mm. And you don't want to make an enemy of it. You don't want to beat it with a stick and try to make it go away. Conscious mind should be present because it has to learn from what's happening. Um, and you need its assistance sometimes. But it also has to agree with the process. If it's afraid, oh no, letting go of something bad will happen, then we're going to explore that. What's its concern? What bad thing is it afraid is going to happen, right? And so mm. work with it. Have it, Michael Newton, he said, it's ever present and it should be, right? Mm. When I tell someone your, your mental mind will still be there and that's a good thing because if something's happening that you don't want or, uncom or are uncomfortable with, mental mind will step in and say, I don't think so, no. <laughs> Right. And so, yeah. and, and, you know, from past life regression, as someone's approaching some thing that's hard to look at or has a strong emotional charge, that's often where mental mind steps in and starts to put the brakes on and say, well, I'm not so sure I want to look at this. So mm. it really is a good safeguard as well. Yeah. When, I, when I started this work, especially the soul work, I was so surprised that my mental mind was like, no, don't do that. <laughs> Something bad will happen, right? It's like, I want to do this. And so I had to work with my mental mind in the books, the process for how to do that. It's one of the practices. So thank your mental mind for keeping you safe because it does that a lot. Thank your mental mind for all it does for you in your day-to-day -day life because you couldn't function without it. Ask it what its concern is. You can dialogue with it. It's not unreasonable. And, and so I had to tell my mind, thank you for keeping me safe. You've done a good job, especially through some tough times. But this work is really important for me. Step back. Release your grip. Don't go away, but, but, but step back far enough that I can do it. Right? So I developed a working relationship. And that's really the first step in the essential healing process is I say, get getting out of your mind or out of my mind is a good place to be. And <laughs> it really is because mental mind is restricting or constricting, right? Yeah. And as it starts to give way, then consciousness begins to expand and that and hypnosis is a beautiful tool, effective tool for helping to expand consciousness. People think unconscious or limited consciousness, it's exactly the opposite. It's expanded consciousness. Your mind would love you to believe that all you are is it. Mm. And you're so much more than it. And as it lets go and your consciousness expands, then you have a higher perspective. You have a more objective perspective. You become the objective observer. And it's from that state that then we do the rest of the essential healing process. We go into the heart, work with the protection around the heart, get heart open, because that's, well, it's the doorway to the inner world. 
and it's the place where we carry our emotions. And it's the emotions then that we could need to work with, not our thoughts so much. Yeah. But our emotions. And in the process of working with stored emotion, we make contact with inner child who's very much connected with that. The inner child's connected with our beliefs and our survival strategies. The, the I'm not enough or it's not enough or there's not enough, that's child self really in most mm. cases. Um, and so we work with the child. We work with the wonder child as well. The, the, it's the beginnings of our spontaneity, playfulness, creativity, and the beginning of our, our inner wisdom. And from child self, then we go deeper and this is where we have some of the different roles that we play, right? You have the protector, you have the saboteur, and one of my favorites is the inner critic, right? Oh, oh yes. you didn't do that good enough. No, 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 how can you? Yeah, so um, we work with, with these different aspects of the psyche. Yeah. And then the next thing we do that I think is so missing in traditional, you're seeing it more now, but in traditional psychology is ancestral healing is working with the family lineage. What's, what stuff do I carry in my belief system, in my energy field, um, in my emotions, in my behavior that I inherited or consciously or unconsciously carry for my parents, my grandparents and the ones before them? Mm-hmm. So much of my behavior is not simply from my own socialization on my own development, but, but um, stuff that I've almost invisibly even inherited. And so we work with a process of learning to care for other people without carrying it for them. And that's a big one because yeah. Yeah, many shoot. of us are, you know, are, um, rescuers, we especially as healers, mm-hmm. a lot of us want to rescue and carry the burden. Lots of mothers or parents want to carry the burdens for their children as well. So that's a huge one. Yeah, and it's so disrespectful. It's, yeah, it's so you know I carried for for someone, um, and it slowed them down. Mm. I thought I was doing them a favor, carrying it for them. But another, but I was saying, I'm capable and you're not. Right? That's true. I was really reinforcing that you can't do this. And it was scary to give it back. But when I did, guess what? They could carry it. And they finally grew, developed, matured, went on their own. And what I thought I was doing to make up for divorce, to make up for these, you know, whatever I couldn't be as a parent, it was really uh, detrimental. And so it was beautiful to go through the process of giving that back and not carrying it and trusting and then seeing the growth that comes from it. That's amazing. So would you um, like to tell the listeners what would be a typical session if someone came to for hypnosis, regression and life between lives and what are the most common things that people come to see you about? Mm-hmm. Usually I'm doing three to five sessions with people. So it's relatively short term um, work. Some, some do more. 
If there's mm. a real serious condition right now, I have a, a couple of people I'm working with, long-term trauma, OCD, you know, that's not a wave the magic wand kind of a session. But I think that whatever tools we use, and we have many tools in Toolbox, um, there are three primary things that we're looking for that are slowing someone down. One is stored emotions. We carry emotions from childhood. They influence and affect us in our daily life. How we respond to situations is often based on those stored emotions. But the soul carries and stores emotions also. And so there are fears, phobias, um, different feelings that we carry, anger, sadness, from past lives as well. So we're, we're dealing with that too. So stored emotion mm -hmm. is a big one. Um, uh, beliefs. So when you have a strong emotional experience, you form a belief. Mm. It's my fault. The world's a cold place. There's not enough. These beliefs form in the womb before we're even born. Mom doesn't want to be pregnant. Oh no, no one wants me. No one loves me. Right. Yeah. Um, they come from past life as well. And then the third really big one is the survival strategies. What did, what did you learn to do to stay safe? What did you learn to do to get love and acceptance? Right. Yeah. So th that's the driver. I know for me, I've had to really work on those um, because yeah, they really limit us. They don't work and they often cause trouble in our life. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah. So looking for those um, through okay. the essential healing process. So basically, and, and then once we can do some of that, then the idea is to, well, I always say know who you are and be that. So the idea is to not look out there for something, but to go in. To go in through the heart and to go to the core self. And there are a number of layers. I, I call it nine layers. But there are a number of layers of stuff that has accumulated over time. Crusty layers, I say. <laughs> that has encased or encrusted what I call soul essence, the authentic you, the core self. Mm. And so the ultimate goal is to reconnect with core self and invite it back, invite it forward, invited to break through those layers, to begin to radiate, to begin to both fill me, but begin to be expressed in my life, in my relationships, and in my work. And so I think most of us, through some series of events where we felt threatened, traumatized, hurt, wounded, put that away or protected that core self and said, no, you can't get that. You can't hurt that. Um, or in some ways lost touch with it over time. So it's really a process of going back in to reconnect with that and say, Oh, I'm not the one who's not good enough. I'm not the one who doesn't get the good enough grades. I'm not the one with those bad habits, but this is me, right? When I, yeah. had my NDE, I saw, I remembered who I am, this divine being. That's not ego. It's not, I'm not perfect, but I have something far more wise and powerful within me 
that I'd lost touch with between what happened in high school and stepfather and all these different events and to rediscover it and go, wow, that's there. And then bring it forward. And instead of many, many years of psychoanalysis trying to resolve all this stuff, have that come forward and start breaking through that so it can begin to be more present in my words and my actions and in my life. Wow. That's, that's the basic process is reconnecting with that. Yeah. So inner wisdom, really. Yeah. And strength. Yes, because I think people are always outside looking for someone or something to help them and wave a magic wand. And, you know, I always say to people, you know, the answers are all within you. And it's about, you know, allowing yourself, giving yourself permission to relax and listen. You know, I say, yeah, listen to the outside, but most importantly, listen to the inside. Mm-hmm. So I know when I had my my sessions with Jana, we went first and we did some past life. We tried to get immediate past lives to see what was happening, to see if there was something that was coming forward into this life. And to see, she asked me a series of questions about my life if I needed mm answers to anything and then uh we went on to the past life regression i think life between lives and i think that took about five hours and i could not believe how quickly the time went and she had like you and sophia you both got the most amazing um soothing voices when i've listened to your meditations and jana was like a voice of the angel and Mm. It was very reassuring, you know, to someone there and talking you through it. And it was like watching a video and to just um, be in that space, life between yeah. lives. Um, I'm not going to tell the listeners everything because my advice to you is to go and have a session with Paul because he is the expert. And if you can't have a live session with him, do it online. And just allow yourself to be and be open and just think of it as a meditation and see through the questions and be honest, be honest with what's happening in your life right now, whether you want to find out your life's purpose. So I always um, think that we're here on this planet earth like a school and we're here Mm -hmm. to remember remember our soul's purpose and to learn our lessons so i think just go in there with an open mind and you know in the meditation or the life between life sessions i got so much information and when it was recorded and listening back you know to the sessions it's like wow this is my life purpose this is what i meant Mm -hmm. to come here to do and when i thought about my life from different ages it was like, wow, I've been guided all along mm, to, yeah. to do this work. And like you, you know, it, I'm here to help people and to be of service, and particularly to help women any way that I can. And that came up loud and clear. You know, there's no getting away from it. It's no getting away from being a healer or helping people whichever way. And um, yeah, it was so insightful. 
And because I've been listening about your book for the last year, it's like, wow, I can't wait to buy it and read it. So you said it's in June in the USA and then um, internationally a bit, bit later. So Yeah, July 1st. They're saying July 1st for Europe. Okay, and great. It's, it's being translated in Spanish now, and I'm not sure of publication date in Spanish, but it'll be close to the um, book release time, I'm sure. Yeah. And the audiobook, audiobook is uh, June 1st as well. Wow. And did you record it yourself or someone else? No, you know, that's a really unique um, talent to read a book well. And so there are professional, there's a professional actor and book reader okay um who who read it for us and they asked me to read the practices so that because i have the tone and the pace for the guided meditation practices so i read those there's over 20 of them in the book um but the rest of the the rest of the text in the book is read by a professional uh reader beautiful voice oh fantastic good choice so what other practices are in the book like for the listeners? Can you dangle a carrot? So can people who are extremely um, not into therapies, haven't done any meditation or any type of healing, would this book be suitable for them? Or is it only for experienced people on their pathway? No, this is really, um, what I did is I took, many of the processes that I used repeatedly in sessions with people explained why and how, and then wrote out the practice. So someone can read it and do it for themselves or record it and do it for themselves. And it starts off from the very beginning. Close your eyes, take a few deep letting go breaths, Mm. relax your body. And now take some time to observe your mind. Just notice what it is that you hear your mind saying. I meditated for, I don't know how many years before I figured out that I couldn't quiet my mind. I couldn't make it shut up or go away. Mm. And that finally, just by observing it, I realized I was much more than my mind and, and I could observe it and go, oh, there it goes saying that stuff again. And I, <laughs> I didn't have to do anything about it. And so the, the book starts with, with that practice. Wow. And then it moves. Yeah. And I, I think that once you're free from that merry-go-round mind, it's then you can really do the work. Yeah. Um, and then next, one of the next practices is about the heart. And so, you know, you place your hand on your chest and mm-hmm. breathe and feel into your heart and, and notice what you're feeling. Now, some people can identify a feeling and many won't be able to because their heart's numbed or protected because they've, we've all had yeah. some trauma or, or wounding. And so, the next, the, the next practice then uh, explores what that protection is. We call it objectification. It's if that heart protection was an object, if it had a size or a shape, color, texture, what would it be? Oh, it's an iron wall. It's a brick, right? Yeah. It's a stainless steel. It's a vault door. It's barbed wire. You'll, you know, everyone's is unique and individual. Um, and then there's a process of working with that protection to, well, first thank it because yeah. it took time to build and it was built out of necessity. It was built because it was necessary. Um, 
So we want to honor it. And it's in the honoring of it, then we can find some way in. And I make it as safe as possible to say, you know, you can go in. You don't have to let me, the facilitator, yeah. or anyone else in. This is for you. It's, it's access to your inner world. And so that's one of the next big steps is, is um, going into the heart. And once you do, then, of course, um, there's going to be emotions. Yes. And so we work with the emotions. There's tremendous love and there's tremendous pain and for most of us. And although the mind says, I should have this feeling and I shouldn't have that feeling, this is a good feeling, that's a bad feeling, our heart's capable of simultaneously experiencing many, many feelings, right? Right. Um, and so we go through a process of honoring those, of feeling our feelings, of expressing them, and then um, providing some um, emotional release practices. Yeah. Because emotions just want expression, and it's the stuffing them, swallowing them, denying them that causes trouble. Wow. Yeah, that reminds me because I'm trained in psych K, so psychology, kinesiology, you might have heard about mm. it. So mm-hmm. and they go into a place, but I just want to say that's the first time I've heard someone thanking their brick walls and protecting their emotions. I think for me, I just had like, ooh, that, that felt so powerful to acknowledge that we are doing it for what we believe is to protect ourselves. And I'm just curious though, because um, from my psyche and psych nurse and et cetera, and the healings, you know, how will people cope doing it themselves without having a therapist right there with them? Because once the emotions are released, it's like opening up for some people, a big can of worms. Some people can cope with it, and some people may not be able to cope so well. Yeah, yeah. So one of the uh, safeguards yeah. is the mental mind. And uh-huh. I talk about that, is, and that that's why you want it there. And if the mental mind goes, no, or that's too much, or that's too scary, but also you make an agreement with the mental mind, and you tell it, look, I need you to help me get there, open up, step back enough, I can do it. And if it gets too hairy, if it becomes too much, if you're too concerned about what will happen, put the brakes on, step in. And so it's a working together rather yeah. than making an enemy or a banishing. And it really makes it safe. Yeah. I mean, obviously, um, people will do individual sessions too with a trained facilitator. Yeah. I mean, I can't do all the work myself. I've done no. a lot of it, but I need help along the way too. So we have workshops to do it and we have um, individual sessions to do it. So yeah. The theme is yes, do as much as you can on your own. And when you need help, get help. Exactly. And I'm sure the book will land up in people's hands in divine timing because I'm a, I'm a big um, believer in when the student's ready, the master appears. So whether they receive your book, see it on a bookshelf, or whether they, you know, like myself with Jana, um, was mm-hmm. blessed to have a treatment. So, and I know that you trained her and 
you know, everybody's ranting and raving about you in that group that I attended. And um, it's wonderful. I know you've won awards. So I feel very, very blessed and honored to be interviewing you today. I feel uh, blessed and honored doing what I love to do. It helps people, you know, what could be better? I know. Before we finish up, I just want to ask you, um, if there was one thing you could do to change the world, what would it be? One thing to change the world. Oh, yeah. Remind people to love themselves and love each other. Oh, that's beautiful. Because um, I think love is the key to everything. And I believe you believe the same. You know, love is the medicine. Love is the best remedy for everything. And I think if there was more love, seeing, treating people with loving kindness, you know, then the world would be a much better place to live in. So thank you very much. And, very welcome. <laughs> and for the listeners, I will put all Paul's links with the written information so you can contact him. Is there anything you would like to share with the listeners about your book or about life in general before we say goodbye? I think, I think we really did it. I think it's all there. I Beautiful job today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. So wishing you a hundred percent success with your book, which I know it will be and is already very successful. And um, yeah, thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you, Beverly. Thank you.